know, there are so many ways to approach the conversation on race uh, and on culture here in this nation. Um, and my brother uh, shared so, so powerfully about just the systemic realities that we alive today have inherited as, um, as Americans, but globally we can look and we can see the escalation of generational uh, tribal conflicts. So when I say the word race, I'm actually gonna diverge from that word and use the word uh, ethnos or ethnic groups, tribal groups, um, because ultimately biblically we see that there is one race, the human race, um, and it's comprised of this beautiful, glorious tapestry of cultures and uh, expressions uh, that are unique to the different uh, geographic locations in which we were all born, and the histories in which uh, we've all navigated or journeyed uh, together in, in, uh, in getting to where we are today as humans, we all have inherited this broken uh, global narrative of ethnic tension and strife because of the fall of man. And uh, so we're gonna approach our conversation today, um, not only from the brokenness of humanity, but also from the glory of the redemption that was wrought through Jesus that now seats us with Christ in a heavenly place and gives us an identity that is higher than and greater than our Adamic nature. Or in other words, uh, we were born in Adam. We were born in this flesh body. Uh, and we have been, been now redeemed out of our primary identity as a black person, a white person, a, an Asian, a Hispanic, or whatever and into our, our sonship and our daughtership, if you will, our, our seat with Christ. So we're gonna talk about this issue from our seat and not from the pain of our past, which, and the pain of our present, which does exist. But the only way to get clarity on the, on the issue of, of race, on the issues of culture, on the issues of systemic injustice uh, and the justice that Jesus brings is to approach it from a, an elevated uh, reality as to who we are. So when we, talk about, when we talk about what racism is, and again, no matter whether you're an American or whether you're an immigrant to this nation or whether you're watching from another nation, there is no nation on the earth that has not been touched by the tensions and the, 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 the turmoil and even the, the brokenness of our human condition, which causes us to treat the other as less than. Um, and this is because of the fall of man. And so the racism issue is really an issue of, of, of resistance to who Jesus is. Some people have argued that with increasing ethnic conflict, that justice is not a primary gospel issue, that racism is not a primary gospel issue, and certain denominations and even movements have taken strong positions because they're saying, we're here as the church to preach the gospel. That's our primary concern. 
Well, the reality is if you reject justice as a gospel issue, then you've not understood the gospel. If you, re if you reject uh, uh, racism as not a primary gospel issue, then there's a clear lack of maturity in the understanding of who Jesus is as a foundation of who he is and as a foundation of how he leads and the kingdom with which he is king of. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech and night unto night it reveals knowledge. It says there's no speech nor language where their voice isn't heard. So all of God's glorious creation declares his handiwork. It, he's a master artist and everything he's created has, its, has his thumbprint on it, including the people groups of the earth. Acts 17 talks about uh, he has predetermined our boundaries and our borders and he determined when we would live and why we would go through what we've gone through throughout history. And he says it's so that it would create a reach for God and that we might, uh, as the people of the earth, actually find God. So every black person in America, uh, every African or descendant of the African diaspora has the, the existential question of why? Why were we enslaved? Uh, why have we been allowed, why has God allowed us to be treated the way we've been treated? Why does God allow injustices to go on? Well, Acts 17, 26 says, it's so that it would produce a reach in us. So there's a redemptive story to all the pain and the tragedy and all the, the brokenness of human history. But we also have to understand though, that the distinctive message of the church in the midst of tribal conflict, which Matthew 24 says is gonna increase until the day of the Lord's return, it says nation or ethnic group will rise against nation. In the midst of this, the church is supposed to have a distinctive word. We have been committed the ministry of reconciliation. That means that the church cannot look to the government first. We cannot look to social justice movements or protest movements to accomplish the justice or the reconciliation that was first uh, bequeathed to the, the body of Christ, believers, we are the ministers of reconciliation. And so our word should be that we are the ones who run into the gap. We are the ones who have been committed the responsibility first and foremost to reconcile and to actually do what Isaiah 58 through Isaiah 61 says about repairing the desolations of many generations. And so all of us alive today if you are a believer, you should care about race, racism, you should care about injustice, you should care about inequity, because if you are in Christ, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, by this, John, first, John 4, and I know I'm talking fast because I got a lot to say in a very short <laughs> amount of time. Uh, these are kind of weighty con concepts, so bear with me. But in 1 John 4, it says that the, you know the spirit of God and every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There are two dynamics I want to I hit on real quick. First is the fall of man, which leads to 
the, the injustice that we commit against man. And two, is that when that fall is empowered by the antichrist spirit, you get racism. So 1 John 4, 2 says that every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Racism is hatred for what the image of God looks like in the skin and the cultural expression of another person. Racism is empowered hatred for what the image of God looks like in the skin and the cultural expression of another person. And so that empowerment is the spirit of the Antichrist. It says, I reject what Jesus looks like in you. And not only do I reject it, but I am going to build systems and structures that that, that uh, confirm, that legalize and commoditize that hatred that I have for what Jesus looks like in you. And what has happened throughout history is that we have actually built nations, we've zoned cities, which is what Chris uh, referred to, and we have actually uh, embraced infrastructures that empower the demonic spirit, the antichrist spirit, to perpetuate violations of the Imago Dei against humanity. So prejudice, injustice is a violation of the image of God within man and the laws and the systems and the structures that we've built empower the violation of the very character and nature of who God is in the earth. Now these things, are controlled in the spirit realm, in the supernatural place, which is why I love 10 days of prayer, why we're engaging in prayer, because at the end of the day, while we must have movements on the earth that deal with the laws and deal with the prison systems and deal with all the different things that we can try to deal with through the civil and social structures, there only is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, redeemed family, one new man, that seated with Christ in the heavenly place are, is the only entity with authority to deal with these invisible systems uh, of injustice that have had very practical uh, consequences in our cities, in our nations, and in the way we live and move with one another. But ethnocentrism, nationalism, and tribalism deludes our ability to hear the Lord and communicate his heart in purity. Some of us are so in alignment with a political ideology that we cannot hear God's heart in whoever the other is, the other person is. Some of us are so wounded by what we've gone through in our own cultural experience that we cannot love or, or even bless our enemies the way Jesus would because we're just so wounded. Uh, nationalism, all the isms uh, actually dilute our ability as the church to to communicate the heart of God in a clear way. And this is why Pentecost is so important. This is why uh, I, I'm so filled with hope even for these next 10 days, because what the, the, the Bible lays out to us is that in order to actually deal not only with the powers and principalities that are empowering racism and systems of injustice against people of color, uh, uh, but 
but in order to deal with with it, it we, we can't have more marching. Just marching is not enough. We can't just have more sit-ins and boycotts. We can't just go back and forth on Facebook or social media and think that we can shame one another into feeling God's heart for one another. Uh, we, we, it's just not enough. We need something from heaven. And so when we look at Acts 2, we see in verse 5, it says, and I love what Chris brought out about Acts uh, 2.42 and, 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 and about how they shared everything because it's, it's an abusive concept just to say, you know, well, God will take care of you. Just set your mind on things above and he'll keep you in perfect peace. We say these kingdom precepts, uh, but we don't have kingdom praxis. I mean, we're not inviting people into a legitimate biblical experience of kingdom life that then would convince them that it's not just something we mentally assent to, but it's something we live out in our day to day. Um, and I, whew, I just feel like preaching. I got to stay on point here. But there were several in Acts two. In Acts two, if we look at Acts two, one of the things I love about it is I hear people preach about the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But they don't. But, but I, I rarely hear people emphasize the glorious, the most amazing part of Acts two, which it says there were Jews from every nation under heaven together. In the upper room, there was a diversity. I mean, there were people from every nation there, and it said when they heard this sound, they came together in bewilderment because each person was speaking, each person heard their own language being spoken. And they said, how is it that we hear them, hear the other, speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. It goes on and on. And it talks about, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it meant. It meant that in the first Adam, we, we, we have an identity where we're, we have our own cultures and our own traditions and all these other things and our, our own histories and all of the journeys that form our unique cultural experiences and expressions. But in the age of the Holy Spirit, in the age of Christ, Jesus has come and he has created a whole nother family. And he is now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, releasing a language that now we could not come together. Uh, me and, and the, the, me the, the millennial black guy and the 80-year-old white man, we could not come to the table and I could share all of my pain and all of my frustrations of living as a black man in America and all the things that my, my dad who grew up under the Jim Crow laws of the South went through and that my great-great-grandmothers and grandfathers who were slaves went through and I could try to get him to understand me, to hear me, to understand my perspective, but no matter how much we talk, nothing is happening, but suddenly the power of the Holy Spirit comes and not not only does he understand what I'm saying, but now he's speaking back to me my language. What does this mean? This means that now we are part of a citizenship. We're part of a, 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 a zip code where he may live in the rich part of town and I may live in the 
poor part of town, but because of Christ, we, are, we have been relocated into a kingdom that is above the zip codes of these, this earth, that is above the pain of my past or the lack of his understanding. And God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us a language to understand one another. Can I get an amen? Thank you for that. <laughs> amen. I am a black preacher. We, we do call and response, but uh, that's hard. Amen, 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 <laughs> so, amen. So, so, so Jesus creates in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, a holy nation. You are a holy nation. That means a holy ethnos, a holy ethnic group. And as a holy nation, God then gives us supernatural power. We see again in Acts 10, Peter is a Jew, right? Peter is uh, uh, just like Paul is a Jew among Jews. And we see that Peter uh, has become hungry. He's been in prison. And in verse 10, it says he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and he saw all these different beasts, four-footed four -footed animals of the earth. And in verse 13, a voice comes to him and tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter says, not so, Lord. I've I've never eaten anything uh, unclean. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And then the object was taken up into heaven again. You see, Peter then, right after that vision, is invited to Cornelius's house. And Cornelius is Italian. He's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And Peter but prior to that vision may not have gone because he's going, look, Jews don't do this. We don't eat with unclean. We don't eat what the Italians eat. We don't eat with them. We don't, we don't fraternize with them. But he says this, he says this as he, as he talked with them in verse 28 of Acts 10, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, we all come into this faith with our own pre-programmed, what I call pathologies of oppression, things that we think about the other consciously or subconsciously that we've inherited from our mothers and our fathers and our foremothers and our forefathers. But what Jesus does by the power of the Holy Spirit is he he, he, un, he unravels those things that have been deep-seated and decoded within us, these implicit biases, these things that we, we may not even be consciously aware of. He, he, he undoes it, and he then begins to wire us with the code of honor and the code of contact, the code of conduct, the precepts of the kingdom of God, which then not only, uh, it doesn't give us the option, but it mandates us to go and to sit and to eat at the table with those who may have been your foremothers or your forefathers' enemies, or maybe maybe even have been considered your enemies. This is why the scripture says, blessed be the Lord who prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm here to tell you that just because I come from a history of 400 odd years 
of slave of chattel slavery in this nation on this soil i am not exempt even though i could be angry i can make the case for all the reasons why i might be justified in my anger and all the things i personally have experienced as it relates to racial inequity and all the systemic injustices that i see on a daily basis because of the work that i do but there's something about the code of heaven the code of conduct code of conduct that says that my enemy is my brother and God has prepared a table for me to sit down with them I have to look them eye to eye and I have to understand that their freedom is that my freedom is tied to their freedom and their destiny is tied to my destiny we cannot get there without one another and so in Acts 10 we see that God undoes his Jewish uh, wirings and says I'm making you now to go to a people who do not look like you they don't eat like you they don't think like you but I'm giving you grace to go to them it's the same grace that fell upon Paul, where Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you, Gentiles. That immediately racialized that scripture. You cannot read about Peter and Paul without seeing that it's about the ethnos. You cannot do the Great Commission without seeing that it's about go to the, the nations, uh, 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 preach this gospel to the ends of the earth. It's about God redeeming for himself a people out of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. You cannot do the gospel. You cannot be a minister of the gospel. In fact, John First John 3 says you cannot even love Jesus who you can't see if you can't love your brother who you can see. So this is the issue that God has with the church and he is making this issue. He's causing all the undealt with wounds, the things that we thought were dealt with because we had a civil rights movement, because we've had multiple civil rights movements, because we've elected a black president in America. God is still causing the nations to, to, to rage and he's exposing the undealt with wounds where we put a bandage on the root on, on, on a wounding that the, the that has never been healed sorry this is a zoom call not a church service I'm preaching we've put we we've, we've not applied the balm of Gilead because the church has been too immature too embracing of our own idols our safety our security our political idols that we can pray in a prayer meeting on a Zoom call like this and then get right off of this call and post something about a politician and, and treat one another like, uh, like we hate one another because of the isms. And so God is coming after this. And in Paul, he says, I am a I'm a prisoner of Christ for you, the Gentiles. He's a Jewish man who's called to a people who does not look like him. And he says, God has made known by revelation the mystery which in other ages was not revealed. And this is the mystery in verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The whole mystery of the gospel is that God takes Gentile nations who don't look like each other, who don't love each other in the natural, who would war with each other, nations that are pitted against each other, he makes them one. They begin to operate in an Abrahamic covenantal promise, a mosaic promise. They operate in a promise that was first for the Jewish people. It was first for Israel. And then God says, no, I'm, I'm leveling it up. That which was first for them is now for all of y'all. And I'm going to make you one new man. I'm going to make you one. 
I'm not just going to unify you. When you are one, see, when you're unity in unity, unity can be broken. But see, oneness cannot be easily broken. Oneness means that if the foot is hurt, the whole body is hurt. If the hand isn't working, nothing is working. See, I don't get disconnected from my hand when I break it and go, oh, those my poor hand. But that's what we've done in the body. Oh, well, those poor immigrants, those poor Latino people, oh, those poor black people, oh, why don't they just pull themselves up by the bootstraps? And God is going, no, 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 no. You don't get it. If they are broken, you are broken. And, and, and vice versa, if, if, if my white, my majority culture brothers and sisters, are, if there's a brokenness, then I'm not just going to expose and call them out, but I'm desperate for them to come into a revelation of the love of God at a greater measure, because I need you and you need me. In the final three minutes here, I hope you guys are encouraged today. <laughs> Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The very foundation of the throne of God is Psalm 89, 14. It says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. You cannot understand how God governs the nations of the earth without understanding righteousness, which is right alignment, acting in accordance with divine or moral law, Righteousness with judgment. In, a, in other words, uh, the way that Jesus brings justice is it's, it's, it's an internal righteousness that deals with external actions, internal governments that leads to external transformation, internal reformation or transformation that leads to external reformation. And so in Jeremiah, we see one of the first mentions of righteousness. And he is called Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord, our righteousness. In Jeremiah, he prophesies that a king will reign in righteousness, a branch of righteousness who will execute just, justice or judgment and righteousness in the earth. And so Isaiah 42 says that Jesus is returning. It says, behold, my servant, my my elect one in whom my soul delights, he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So Jesus is coming in the spirit of justice. The more we, the closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more we are going to see justice movements emerging in the earth. Some of them will be rooted in unrighteous motivations and others will be rooted in righteous motivation. Regardless of what they're rooted in, what we know biblically is that Jesus is increasingly revealing himself as the judge, as the one who writes wrong things, as the one who is justice. And in Isaiah 2, it says that in the last days, people like us would gather on global Zoom calls for 10 days at a time. And it says that they will go up to the mountain of the Lord and the God of Jacob will teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. Another understanding of righteousness is where it says, make straight the pathway of the Lord. That's make righteous the way in which we should live and the way in which we should walk. And it says that he is going to judge between the nations in Isaiah 2 verse 4. He will judge between the people groups of the earth, the ethnic groups, those things that we have never been able to settle. God is going to settle the score as the righteous judge. And it says nation or ethnic group will not lift up sword against ethnic group. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There is a day of eschatological peace coming. There is a great God and King who has redeemed for himself a people out of every tribe, 
and he's coming in justice and in righteousness to make wrong the right things of history and to repair the desolations of many generations.